0: This is the Brew World Order Podcast. Welcome to the Brew World Order Podcast, the podcast where we talk to brewery owners and ask questions about owning a brewery so that future brewery owners can learn a thing or two. My name is Mike Curtin, and if you haven't subscribed yet, you should probably get on that right about now. This is episode 75, and in this episode, I sit down with Jordan Fink, of Wood's Boss Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado. Jordan tells us a great story about his trip to Nepal, It's actually quite a crazy one how the untapped app drives him a little crazy and he explains why he's awesome aka what makes him a good business owner i try to be humble on my day-to-day but it's kind of hard i mean look at me i host an awesome podcast i mean (laughs) everybody knows it i get to talk to brewery owners talk about beer talk about the business of beer and sometimes we even drink beer it's better than that i know you probably want to be me. Maybe not. But you do get to listen to this newest episode of the Brew World Order podcast featuring Jordan Fink. And that's something we can both agree on. So sit back, relax, crack open a cold one, and enjoy the podcast. Hey guys, I'm Mike Curtin. This is the Brew World Daughter podcast. And today I'm with Jordan Fink, co-owner of Woods Boss Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado. Jordan, how's it going, man?
1: Good, good. How you doing, Mike?
0: All right, not bad. Thank you for being with us. First and foremost, uh, finally made it work. Awesome.
1: Yeah, it's been like a month and a half. Uh, in, in the, all good, in the man. Process.
0: Things yeah. happen, you know. Uh, so, yeah.
1: life is life is a shit show. Of course, of course, of yeah. course.
0: So, can you give us a little breakdown of, uh, you know, where you grew up, the whole thing, and just a little background yeah, story yeah. of how you got into Absolutely. the brewing industry?
1: Right on. Uh, I'll try and keep it quick. It's a long fucking story. But, uh, That's fine. We'll, we'll truncate it for you. All right. So I'm originally a New Yorker, actually. Um, I grew up in Westchester, born in White Plains. Um, we moved from Ardsley to Chapqua um, when I was a little kid, for all you New Yorkers out there. Um, folks are all New York. Uh, my mother was Brooklyn, my dad was the Bronx, and then Long Island, where he ultimately grew up. Um, Unfortunately, my brother lives in New Jersey now, but that's okay. I get to give him shit about it. Okay. <laughs> All good. Uh, anyway, I, uh, I left to go to college at CU Boulder um, here in Colorado. Right. Um, after I graduated from high school and then continued to migrate west, ended up in Oregon, Washington, um, and then Alaska before coming back to Colorado 2009, I think, is... Uh, when I moved back here with a lot of other weird adventures along the way, I um, originally went to school for hydrology, fluvial geomorphology, and watershed science, which is a lot of words to mean that <laughs> I liked learning about water and rivers and right. um, you know stuff in the natural environment. I uh, went to grad school for that, decided I didn't actually want to do that, ended up becoming a high school science teacher um and then started home brewing a long time ago with the uh, idea that someday i'd open up my own brewery um along the way i uh locked into a job at tommy knocker brewery it's uh up in idaho springs here in colorado they're you know one of the og breweries um right. that are still around from the early 90s uh here in colorado i uh, learned a lot um ended up getting back into education for a hot minute just cause Just because before deciding that time was ripe to start my own brewery and um, uh, ended up getting a job to help build the first craft brewery in Nepal. So I moved over there for better part of a year, came back, um, kept working in the industry back at Knocker, another place called Odyssey before starting Woods Boss and we're coming up on five years uh, since we opened now. Along the way, I used to work for the Forest Service for a long time, and I worked for a Youth Conservation Corps doing similar sort of stuff, trail work, um, working with kids, environmental education, all that sort of stuff. And my job title when I worked for the Youth Corps was Woods Boss. It's where I met my wife. A lot of my most batshit, crazy, formative experiences as a young guy happened there. So it's a big part of kind of who I am and what I'm all about and wanted to bring that into the company. And in talking with Chad, my partner, about names, my wife was the one who suggested that. Um, Chad was like, what's Woods Boss all about? And, you know, I told him, and Woods Boss is, you know, the the guy or gal that um, basically runs the crew, right, Um, Right. that brings the fun, brings the crazy work ethic, um, brings the wacky and the skills and the experience, uh, helps to really build the community and um basically you know be the best version of themselves as possible um so that's what we're all about here
0: very cool and uh what was that moment for you that that kind of sticks out that was that aha moment where you guys decided you and chad were like hey we're doing this we're opening a brewery
1: yeah (coughs) so chad and i met um hanging out at shows actually Um, friends in common, a friend of mine from high school, actually from way back in the day, um, his sister, who I'm also friends with, uh, lived with Chad's wife, um, ski bumming up in the mountains a long time ago. And we were at a red rock show, seeing some bluegrass and they walked right in front of us. And my buddy Dan was like, Hey, Chad, Katie, and ended up meeting them. That was years and years ago. And then we'd just run into Chad. You know, a couple times a year, concerts, we're both, um, you know, big fans of fish, and uh, we'd see each other at the fish shows out here every single year, and uh, cool. it was 2014, um, and I got hired to go to Nepal, and Chad and I were having a beer after um, the show on the tailgate of someone's truck, and just shooting the shit, and he's like, what are you doing now? And I'm like, well, I'm moving to Nepal to open up a brewery, but... I want to get back, I want to open up my own, and I'm looking for a business partner. Because I know the brewing side, but I don't know shit about business, and I'm looking for someone who can actually right. kind right. of handle the reins on that side. And Chad's like, I'm oh, a business guy. I like beer. Let's talk. Um, so we talked while I was in Nepal, started working on some concept and business plans, and uh, I got back, and we met up for a beer, and we're like, are we doing this? And we're like, yes, let's do this. Um, And about a month and a half later, he took off for seven or eight months um, to go overlanding. He bought himself a big, beefed-out truck, um, grabbed his wife and dog, shifted down to Buenos Aires, and then spent eight months just tooling around the Pan American Highway, starting from Buenos Aires, and working their way up to uh, Colombia, I think, is where they ended up. Very cool. And he and I would be... You know, the Skyping throughout whenever he had reception. I'd be walking around showing him pictures of, you know, video of different places that we were looking to lease out and, you know, working on all that sort of stuff. And he got back and it was like maybe three weeks later that we found this place uh, and got to hit go. So awesome. And Does that counted as an aha moment. I don't know.
0: Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Sure. I mean, why not? And, It's cool that you mentioned fish. Uh, They actually just, I didn't go, but they had a show on my birthday, 420, here in New York. All
1: right. (laughs) That date sounds familiar. I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. So. Everyone steals the fucking 420 road signs off the Colorado highways. I
0: mean, yeah.
1: I mean, they just, they they stopped putting them back. Yeah. There's no point. There's no point. Just I quit smoking take them. pot when I was like 18. I started young, um, but I found it just makes me fucking paranoid. And
0: yeah, it doesn't. I don't know. I I get a little. I get. I I can't stop moving. I'm a, I'm all over the place with it. I'm. I'm yeah. Plus, on top of that, my job doesn't let me do it anymore. So.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Random drug test. I used to be,
1: a, used to be a firefighter as well. So. Right. Uh, yes yeah my my resume if i put down everything i ever did would be like fucking 12 pages long
0: yeah. a lot of shit same same
1: bombing and working in a deli and firefighting and trail work and brewing and teaching and yada yada yada
0: i'm the same way i gotta stay busy gotta stay busy
1: yeah. so from the start of
0: you guys deciding to open a brewery together um mm-hmm. to the moment you finally open your doors throughout that whole process what was one of the hardest things for you
1: um I, I'd say the one of the hardest things was finding a good good place to put a brewery right um finding a place that was in a, a spot that we wanted it to be that had all the stuff that we wanted it to have um that was reasonably priced you know because there's are some amazing spots, but if they're charging, like, 40 bucks a square foot, like, there's no way. We, we'd never make it. Right. Um, so that was one of the hard things. And <coughs> the other hard thing is, you know, just uh, coming up with funds, right? Um, right? It costs a lot of money to open up a brewery. And uh, we got really creative and we got really lucky with, um, you know, some friends and family that that basically offered to lend us money rather than... Um, take a bite out of any equity and uh, Chad and I are 100% 50-50 so we didn't have to um, give up any control or any stock or anything like that Um, so those are kind of the two hardest things I mean designing a brewery that stuff I've been doing it for a long time that wasn't that bad Um, and then you know just uh, time frames always getting pushed back permits from the city you know got extended for months and months and uh all that sort of stuff that's but beyond that permits you know, actually wasn't that bad
0: permits construction always whatever yeah. time they give you just add tack on like six months to that
1: uh, or more yeah, yeah it's nuts. everyone who hits me up about advice for opening up a brewery i'm like give yourself an extra fucking year and, right um it, i for mean sure. and if you if you blow that out of the water awesome but uh, you have to plan for things to take a lot longer. Especially now, I mean, supply oh, chain supply logistics, chain, yeah. shipping, and, right. you know, taxes, and tariffs, and whatever.
0: <coughs> right. Uh, so you guys opened up in 2017, correct?
1: Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Was it August, or was it a little August. late? August, August, 2017.
1: August 11th is our, you know, grand opening date. We okay. had a you know soft opening worth of, like, some soft opening right little stuff going on but you know
0: so yeah. uh you were open for give or take two and a half years before the whole covid situation occurred with shutdowns and all that um how did you go about dealing with that pivoting and uh, making it work for your <laughs> business
1: yeah i mean it's Look, it's been hard, there's no doubt about it. Um, and at the end of the day, the brewery that we designed, that we planned for, is different than the brewery that we have right now. Okay. Um, and that was a matter of necessity and being nimble um, and seeing some opportunities. But basically what it comes down to is this. Uh, we were never a packaging brewery. Um, we were planned, designed intentionally to be a taproom for focused, community-focused brewery where this is where you came to get it. You couldn't really get it out in the world. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we'd sell some kegs around town, stuff like that, but we saw that more as um, almost like paid marketing. You know, someone has our beer, never heard of us at some bar, and they're like, oh, it was really good. You know, maybe they want to come check out the brewery itself, get our name out there a little bit. Um, Having worked in packaged breweries, it was not something that I really wanted to do. Didn't really like a lot of the restrictions that come with putting beer in cans Um, but we made a really hard shift like a lot of folks do we saw the writing on the wall we knew stuff was coming, they let us know like two weeks before um, or something like that that they were going to be shutting down everything um, at least here in Colorado Uh, so we're like all right, this is happening Um, people won't be able to come to get our beer, we have to put it in cans and, and get it out there Um, we could sell beer to go and we're going to start trying to get in some liquor stores. we would never done that before. The guys who were going out and selling kegs, um, now start showing up at liquor stores saying, Hey, we're, we're in cans now. Um, so the, when we found out that we were getting shut down, we called, um, a lady who'd done some artwork for us. Like, can you make some labels for us? We got it out. We called that day to, uh, one of the local mobile canning operations. We're like, can we get on the books? Um So it was about um, we got shut down on March 17th, something right. like that. Um, and we had beer and cans on April 7th, um, which is really quick turnaround for, yeah, you know, right. on April 8th having no fucking March 8th having no clearly we we're gonna put beer in cans right. Um, and you know, it started working well. It was actually the day after my daughter was born. Um, so I was still in the hospital. Wow. Hanging out with my newborn when we were putting beer in cans, and I didn't get to be there, which, I mean, I'm not going to trade that. No. But, absolutely uh, it not. Was, <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, There's some know, people I mean, that might, but hey, you know. Uh, I'm not that guy. <laughs> no. Um, so, you know, but it was still a bummer. I was like, oh, we've never had a canning run here at Woods Boss, and here I am stuck with my wife and daughter. No, I mean, right. yeah, it's good. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it worked for us. Um, and we try to keep the, the model that we have in the tap room um, as far as it goes with cans, right? So we've got 20 beers on tap in the tap room, um, constantly rotating. We have, you know, maybe five or so year rounders and then 15 that we just kind of keep changing. Maybe it comes back once a year or once every nice. two years or something brand new that never comes back again, or maybe it will. Who knows? Because my whole thing is that I actually do not care what you like to drink. I mean, I like that you like to drink. Uh, I want you to find something that you like regardless of what your style is when you come into Woods Boss. So we have, you know, Hazies and West Coasts and Pale Als and Porters and Stouts and Browns and English style and Belgian shit, um, Sours and weird barrel-aged stuff and whatever. Right. Uh, we're all over the map because I love beer in all its different varieties and so do other people right Um, yeah as do I so when we started canning I mean we had at any one point um 12 to 16 different beers out in the market um lots of variety because you know you walk into a liquor store you might not be able to find um a wit you might not be able to find an English style brown you might not be able to find a porter um you'll always find IPAs and you'll always find pilsners and of course um, but we do those too. So, you know, for the folks who are like, "God, I want something that's not what everyone else wants all the time." Like we can do small runs, and we do that. Um so that has uh worked out pretty well for us over the course.
0: Nice. Now but besides yeah. a a pandemic, yeah, besides a pandemic, obviously. Uh, what's something that you never thought you were going to have to deal with when opening a brewery?
1: Um, I honestly can't really think of anything. I mean, the, the thing about it is I worked in the industry for about 10 years before actually opening my own, right? Um, so I'd seen a lot of things and I'd spoken to a lot of friends who opened breweries who gave me a lot of heads up and um, had a pretty good handle on what we were getting ourselves into. Um, right. you know, I mean, we, uh, uh, downtown Denver, um, we definitely have a little bit of a homeless issue down here. Um, so I guess I would say I had not anticipated seeing people taking sh- sink showers and shaving their head in my, um, in my brewery bathroom.
0: Gotcha. And having gotcha. to deal with
1: that. But beyond that, I mean, you know, you have a little mini health.
0: You have a little mini hotel going on over there.
1: Yeah. Also, didn't anticipate, you know, uh, having our power drop because uh, dump truck forgot to lower his bed and ripped out the power for the block one day. Um, Didn't anticipate having my 1974 F-250 piece of shit beater truck get stolen out of the parking lot and then having to learn how to hotwire it myself when I went to pick it up from Impound when it got discovered because they had just all the <laughs> wiring out. But, you know.
0: You got to think like a criminal, man. Come on.
1: Yeah. No. It's, hey, it's a good skill to have is all I'm saying. And now yes. I know how to do it.
0: So For sure.
1: I taught myself in like two minutes like, oh, there's some wires. Let's just start touching stuff. and see what happens. I've seen it in the movies. It can't be that hard.
0: Yeah. Speaking but, of no. good qualities, uh, what, what qualities do you possess uh, that make you a good business owner?
1: Personally, um, I don't know. Uh, I guess passion, um, work ethic. You know, we work our asses off. Um, you, <laughs> you can't expect to open a brewery um, and have a 40-hour work week, which is not the case. No. Um, having a lot of fun, being able to connect with with folks, I mean, um, and representing my my business, my brewery, and, you know, this is such a big part of my life, representing it well. So for the first three years, um, myself, Chad, and Ryan, our head brewer, uh, I'm still a brewer, I just don't get to do it all that often. Um, you know, that's their job, my job is to do the rest of it, mostly behind a fucking computer. Right. Anyway. Um, but we worked the bar every Wednesday. Um, it was the three of us, owners, brewers, um, for almost three years, and that was a big part of who we were. And that's w- one of the things that we do really well is, you know, connecting, telling our story, and um, having fun while doing it.
0: Awesome. So uh, it's hard
1: to be asked like, why you're awesome. <laughs> yeah. Way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Why?
0: Why are you in business right now? Yeah. <laughs> Um. So, what do you think is uh, one of the hardest adjustments you had to make since opening?
1: Um, I mean, I think it comes back to the shifts that we made since the start of the pandemic, right? So, you start a business, you have this dream, this vision for how it's going to go, and it's going that way. And then, you know, you, you get a wrench thrown at you, and you need to dodge and shift and right. um, the the brewery and the business has to shift and take on a life of its own um, and for me you know it's been hard coming to terms with the fact that who we are now in terms of what we're doing and how we're doing is different from who we were then um, and you know I mean it's harder it's more work Um and more money to go out the door to keep the the lights on and all that sort of stuff um so we have to work harder to hold pad or even make less um and all that sort of stuff and you know some of the creative stuff that um i really enjoy is harder to to fit in the schedule now because canning is such a big part of what we're doing um and you know i can't make some of the weird shit that i like um because it might tie up a tap for a lot longer than it should um when we need to be able to put some beer in cans and get it out the door so um i mean for me that's been the hardest thing is just kind of being okay with things being different um change is challenging yeah
0: get get on
1: that's all good
0: yeah get comfortable with being uncomfortable (laughs)
1: What my wife always says to her students.
0: Yeah. It's uh yeah. it's the truth, man. You gotta, you know, life's ever changing. You gotta uh adapt, otherwise, you know, get left behind.
1: Yep. Adapt so, or die.
0: Yeah. Uh I'm sure you've come across a lot of people in the beer industry or might have been influenced by a lot. Uh who you think's influenced you the most in the beer industry?
1: Um I keep it to people that I know personally, um, rather than, you know, old school brewers and stuff like that. Because, you know, this this industry is constantly reinventing itself, which I love. You know, Um, I love most of the things about that. Um, There's some stuff within the industry that drives me a little batty, but it's all good. Um, So. My first boss in the craft beer world is a guy named Steven Rouse. Um, He was director of brewery operations at uh, Tommyknocker, and just a fantastic guy, um, knows his shit, been doing this for 25 years, right, Um, or longer. Um, And really, like, he's one of those um, true legends within the industry that very few people know about, but the people who know about him... um, know just uh how quality is and you know he he took a chance on me um and brought me in i mean i had no professional brewing experience um i was just some dude who'd been home brewing for a while and really passionate about it and showed up and asked for a job and he's like you know what uh one of my brewers gave notice two days ago i need a warm body come hang out and we'll see how you do and um turned into a job and turned into a career So, uh, but he also taught me a lot as well Um, and taught me uh, how to, how to do this challenging business with both humor and humility.
0: Gotcha. And you talked about before about changes uh, in the industry. Care to elaborate what things that are kind of not to your liking?
1: Um. So, I mean, I'm a little, I don't know if old school is the right word, Um, but uh, I'm a big fan of brewers that take their craft really, really seriously, Um, and uh, that's important to me because I do, right? Um, right? Being really intentional with beer design, being really anal when it comes to quality and all that sort of stuff and you know the, there's so many folks out there these days I mean we have 8,000 some odd breweries right now um, and there are some folks doing stuff that I'm like I, I don't get it I don't personally like it but that's your thing go for it it's all good um, yeah. you know the a lot of the, uh, the sort of hype marketing stuff um you know, drives me a little nuts. Um, untapped drives me absolutely fucking crazy that, you know, beer has become this, you know, yelped sort of thing and, um, you know, bandwagon sort of stuff. And I'm a big fan of like, look, if it's really good, drink it. Right. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what the can looks like. It doesn't matter um, all that sort of stuff. You know, find the places that you like, support them, but keep <coughs> trying other stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, I've had a lot of, a lot of beers where people are just throwing shit at the wall. Um, and the beer is not good, you know, um, some of it is, but right. some of it's not. And my problem with that is let's find the weirdest shit that we could throw into a beer. Um, and regardless of whether or not it's good, we're still going to sell it. Right. Yeah. That's that, that's a problem that I have. Um, we've tried some weird shit that didn't turn out, but we didn't sell it because it was not something that I would stand behind. And that's a problem, um, for me at any rate, um, because making shitty beer, and there are a lot of people making really good beer. Um, but there's also a lot of shitty beer out there and that's a problem for the industry as a whole. For sure.
0: For sure. Um, I do like on tap for, for one big thing though.
1: Huh? We've all had shitty beer of course We're like, what the of fuck course they yeah taking?
0: absolutely yeah. absolutely um but I yeah. guess you know there's, a, there's there's also a big profit loss when it comes to when you make a big batch or something and you're like well we can't dump it so we got to try and make a little money back on it you know um
1: yeah but for me it's all about reputation right of course um, of course because it could be the one time somebody walks in got. there
0: somebody yeah. could walk in there one time and try that beer and be like this place sucks I'm out of here you know? right
1: if I made a chocolate fennel sauerkraut, you know, pilsner, it was fucking disgusting. I'm like, well, I'm going to sell it anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's kind of what I'm talking about is um, that being intentional, that actually taking care with your beer design and execution. Um, I see, I see a lot of that not happening right. out there in the world. But, but yeah, you know, folks back. are having fun, so more power to them. It's all good. Yeah.
0: Back to the uh, back to Untapped though. Like I was saying, the one thing I really like about Untapped is that if you're looking for a beer, you can find it in your area. That's key, you know, one of the main things I'll, yes. I'll use it for. That's kind of cool. That's a cool aspect of that that app.
1: There are. I, I don't mean to entirely throw Untapped under the bus. No,
0: no, no, um, no. But I understand but, what uh, you mean with the whole Yelp aspect.
1: Yeah. So I mean, th- there's a couple things there, right? Untapped is cool when you can use it as sort of like these are all the different things that that I've tried You can make notes in it and come back to it uh, and all that sort of stuff um, the, the rating system is weird. I mean if you look at statistics and social um, The way that large masses of humans respond to any particular thing it makes it weird, right? Um, so uh, I'll give a couple examples um, people will sometimes look at an average rating um, and use that as their baseline rather than taking a beer at at its own pace right um, so they're like oh no one else rated this or I mean the average is like a three eight, so there's no way I'm going to give it like a 4, 4.5 even if I fucking love it right? because uh, I, I don't like being an outlier there's one thing Right. Um, number two, uh, people will also um, rate beers higher based on breweries that have, you know, uh, a good reputation, even if it's not a great beer. They're like, oh, these guys are great. Um, I don't want to bash them or like everyone else is giving it right. uh, a high rating. So I feel like a pot if I don't. I don't know. Right. Um, well,
0: not everybody has the, the palate of a you know a beer snob that's just a basic yeah. any any basic person could go on there and and you know and and could be like oh yeah this is you know i like this and, brewery and so get to, get when, just get to five
1: <laughs> yeah i mean so when someone drinks a style that they know they don't like right and it might be perfectly crafted perfectly to style and they're hmm. like i don't like porters and it's a fucking amazing porter and they're like one star, one cap, whatever it is, because I don't like porters, and they say that in there, like I don't like porters, one cap. Um, that that's just fucking weird. It's like, why would you <laughs> even rate it? Why would you even drink it? I mean, drink it, sure, but why rate it? Like, yeah, right. What the hell's wrong with people? Know. Ah, who knows? It's all good. Who
0: knows? So um, yeah, is but there? But it mo-
1: matters to our business at the end of the of day. Of course,
0: yeah, of course.
1: People do look at that shit
0: for sure. Um, so. Is there a moment that kind of sticks out for you um, that made you realize things were going in the right direction?
1: One singular moment? Yeah. No, it's just sort of, we felt really good from day one. I mean, we were excited, we um, had a really positive recept- reception right out of the bat. Um, you know, I made a lot of friends in the industry for years and it's great having that support and um folks telling other folks to come buy your brewery. um so you know the uh uh i don't know that there's one moment it's just um felt pretty good right out of the right out of the gates you know we worked really hard we were really intentional um about setting this place up right designing beers making sure that all the things that we wanted were in place, including our staff, right? Right. Um, We took a while to, we started the hiring process well in advance so that we could bring the right team together um, and keep it going. Um, A good chunk of the folks that are here have been here with us since day one and the folks that have left, it's not that they didn't want to still be here, we didn't want them, it's, you know, a couple of them moved out of state or something, pursuing other opportunities, that sort of stuff. Um, so, you know, it's all about, um, the culture and the crew and, you know, the place and the beer. I mean, it's all tied in together. Um, and I've personally been, um, ecstatic ecstatic about it since day one, um, despite the the days where things don't go right and the challenges and, you know, the random person who's having a shitty day and blows you up, like whatever, you know
0: it's like it's like a Uh kid sometimes you know it's like a kid sometimes they they can be a jerk but you still love them all the same you know you still want to (laughs) mold them
1: (laughs) yeah I mean look for the most part um any business even the ones knocking it out of the park are gonna have bad days you know it happens but the good days way outnumber the bad ones and at the end of the day I'm I'm living the the dream that I wanted to live so hard to complain
0: Gotcha. And uh, how do you define success?
1: I'll let you know when I figure out the definition. <laughs>
0: is there I mean, honestly, is there I, I, in, in your I, head a way of, of feeling successful?
1: Um, I mean, for me, success has is, is always been about um, personal relationships and um, my own... Feelings about how well I've done based on what I'm trying to do, right? Um, And that comes down to, do I feel good about um, the effort that I'm putting in? Do I feel good about um, the relationships that I'm building? Do I feel good about um, what the business is doing, not just from a beer perspective, but the other things that we do? And, you know, contributing to nonprofits and charities and, and getting the word out about cool stuff and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that for me and even if Woods Boss ever goes under I'll still feel successful because all those things happen there will always be things outside of our control but you know at the end of the day knowing that that I put my best foot forward worked my ass off um, was a good person um, good colleague good boss good whatever Um, you know just a good human uh, the folks that I get to interact with on a day um that for me is success
0: gotcha and yep. uh is there
1: from, that comes back from my grandfather he, he was all about that native new yorker spent his whole life there awesome yeah he ended up living in north shore towers right up to the end right really simple uh, park boulevard was that not not far from you. It's those tall towers that are like technically they're Queens, but they're on Long Island. I know what don't you're
0: talking. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I I don't know exactly what, uh, where it's off of, but yes, I I'm familiar with those towers. I know yeah. somebody that actually lived there. Yeah. Uh, so is a uh, how how important is a mental break for you from the stresses of owning a business
1: uh very i mean look (laughs) and what
0: what does that look like for you
1: yeah so i mean it it's hard to take that time right because there's always something else to be done um like i said i've got a two-year-old um and uh, a family a wife all that sort of stuff um so you know work is 10 12 hours a day and then home is the rest of it minus the five hours I sleep a night right? right
0: um
1: so carving out time is really important i don't do it enough i know that uh, but for me it's getting out in the woods um going for a hike climbing a peak sitting by a, a creek or a river for a while going on adventures um a little bit of travel whatever it is um, that's the piece for me that's a mental break and on the rare occasion that I get to hang out with some friends and, you know, tie one on, let loose a little bit, go to shows, stuff like that. Um, gotcha. Those are the big ones for me.
0: Yeah. I like a good concert, man. It's a yeah. way to let loose, for sure. Yeah. And And uh, what was your gateway beer into the craft beer world?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I'm an East Coaster. Um, so, I remember... Um, being, I don't know, 14, 15, and someone gave me uh, a Newcastle... Newcastle Brown Brown Ale? Yeah. And I was (laughs) like, wow, this doesn't taste like shit. And then um, from there, you know, Saranac, all the stuff, Black Pan um, was always great. and um, Pete's Wicked Ale when that was around. Pete's Wicked. Yeah, um, man. Yeah, for sure uh i never got into magic hat because i don't like apricot um okay but you know i
0: did i I like that
1: yeah that was a lot of people do it's just it's not my thing um
0: that was like my wheat that was like my wheat phase when i was drinking blue moon and then i was like oh this is interesting
1: never got into blue moon either i mean i love belkin stuff but blue moon never did it for me either um but then you know i mean Moving out to Colorado, getting exposed to a whole different realm. Oh, do you remember Blackened Voodoo? There was uh no, don't it
0: was remember. like a
1: dark lager. Can't remember where, where it was at. of I want to say it was like Louisiana, New Orleans, or something like that, but they used to carry it at the the A.M.P. Um, or the Grand Union, wherever it was. I was like, oh, that's something really? different. Oh, that's what cool. is it
0: called? I'm sorry. One more time.
1: Uh, Blackened Voodoo. That that was a big one. Um, black and Voodoo beer, Sammy yeah. Sammy Smiths, um, oatmeal stout, and Taddy Porter, uh, and then moving out here in the Northwest. Um,
0: yeah, dark lager. You know,
1: dri- What's that?
0: Dark lager. Yeah, black and Voodoo. They they still looks like they still make it. I
1: I can't say if it's still any good, but I loved yeah. it, you know, yeah. thirty years ago. Looks like it's um, still out there. Yeah, that's cool. It's never uh, had it.
0: Well, maybe I'll look on and then, Untapped and see if I can find it somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, moving out to Colorado, I, uh, buying beer as an underage guy, you know. Um, like I said, Sammy Smith's, uh, all that stuff was great. That, that was um, really Red Hook ESB, uh, I drank, you know, a lot of that. Um, Ellie's Brown was a big one. Um, Avery, um, those guys are fantastic. Avery, know, yeah, like for sure. Great um, stuff, and all that stuff. Uh, and then out in the Pacific Northwest, they used to have. There's a lot of great beer even then um, out in the Pacific Northwest. This is the you know uh, late '90s. Um, there was a beer that I used to love called um, Dick's Danger Ale. Um, it's basically just like an American, slightly hopped up ale. It might actually be considered. Uh, used to be considered a Cascadian dark which is okay. sort of what became Black IPAs. It wasn't that. It wasn't like what people think of as a Black IPA. Um, but that beer was fantastic um, and, you know, just keeps going. I've had a lot of beer in my life, and I've liked a lot of them. They all awesome. inspire me in different ways. Yeah.
0: Understood. I feel the same way. Um, and uh, you homebrewed for about five years on and off uh, before opening your brewery, right?
1: It was pretty much on. It was, <laughs> it was pretty much home, on. Once I okay. started homebrewing, it was I was brewing um, one to two times every week, um, and had a rotation where I would brew, transfer, and bottle all in the same day. Um, once, maybe twice a week, something like that. And I had so much beer, and it was just for me. It was fun and experimenting and right. learning recipe development and reading a ton. And I would just give most of it away. You know, right. I couldn't yeah. drink that
0: much you can't um, you can't hold but, on to all that. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. I feel
0: the same way when it happens, you know. When you're brewing and yeah. you bottle it up and you got all these bottles like, what the hell have I got gonna... I can't drink all this. I'll get <laughs> yeah, I'll be wasted twenty four seven.
1: Exactly. At one point I had like thirty cases in my cellar. I was like, yeah. This is dumb yeah. and start passing it out. So if
0: you had one homebrew tip to pass on uh to homebrewers what would it be?
1: uh read a lot i mean there's a lot of books out there um that would be my first tip is you know just keep learning um there are things that you can do to improve your beer even if you're really happy with it um and lots of experimentation it's the nice thing about doing a you know three to five gallon batch like if if you wreck it it's not a big deal you wreck a 20 barrel batch big fucking deal right Right. Um, so do that, and then uh, sanitation is key. Clean, Big time. clean, clean all the time. For sure. Be liberal with your sandy. Um And the last one is uh, water matters, right? So if your tap water is not what you're, you know, it's full of chlorine or whatever, it tastes like fucking dirt, then your beer is going to taste like that too.
0: Yeah, so, New York's water um, is pretty good, thank God.
1: Yeah. Nothing it, needs it, to be added the, or anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, if your tap water is not cutting it, then you know, spend a little bit of money and get um, good filtered water. Right. You know, the I don't know what the water situation is out in New York, where you can, you know, bring the fucking five gallon jug to the grocery store. And yeah, right. Out, right. Yes. Yeah, something like that. Um, they have those all, all over my place. tips, and you know, like I said. Have fun, do some bad shit, crazy stuff, but also, you know, be intentional. Um, and if you're going to be tweaking something, don't tweak five things at once so you don't know what happened. Um, tweak one thing and keep tweaking that until you got that right. piece nailed down and then tweak a different thing. You know, maybe you start by tweaking the malt bill a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. And you're like, all right, this is where I want it. And then you start tweaking the hot bill. And then maybe you try playing with different yeasts. Um, maybe you try... Tweaking your water profile a little bit um but don't do it all at once because then you're you're not learning how different pieces affect the larger thing
0: yeah one of my biggest ones is i, I write down everything yes <laughs> like yeah, at this no. time we we put the water here. you know like at this time we started the flame at this time it started boiling like i i literally do <laughs> everything yeah. it's it's you no, we, uh,
1: we write down everything yeah right. People are always asking me like, "What's in that beer?" I'm like, "I don't fucking know, man. I wrote it down." <laughs> I'll, I'll get like back to you. Here. Recipes.
0: Here's this book. Yeah. Read this. Yeah. Um, totally. And what's what's next for your brewery? What does the future look like for Woods Boss?
1: <laughs> um, that's a good question. I mean, we're we're currently living the future, so to speak, right? So. Um, we just did this expansion that we're in right now, so we incorporated uh, an event space, additional production, canning, all that sort of stuff. So Yes,
0: I, I saw um, that when I was there. Very cool.
1: Yeah, so the, uh, what's next is really kind of dialing in the growth that we've just gone through, um, getting everything sort of efficient and running great and uh, all that sort of stuff, um, including figuring out um, distro. Um, because we're, you know, we're in it and things are constantly changing. Um, For sure. I think we'd like to you know, find uh, a new sense of normal and um, sustainability within our own work um, before really thinking about um, the next big project um, should we ever get there. I mean, the original plan from our business um, plan was to get Woods Boss going great, um, find success, develop a reputation, and then replicate that original taproom model in other places, right? Um, be able to bring WoodsBoss Boss to other states, other cities, um, and set up shop and have that small community focused, deep craft, rotating beer um, philosophy going on in other places and, and bringing it that way. Gotcha. I don't need to do 20,000 barrels a year in any regards, much less in cans or anything like that. That's not who I want to be, what I want us to do. Um, so it's, yeah, just keep getting it dialed in and figure out how to how to keep moving it forward. Don't really awesome.
0: Know. Well, best of luck with everything, man.
1: Thanks. We're still and a little burnt from the last couple of years, so.
0: <laughs>
1: I hear We're you. you
0: Got to take those mental breaks. Got to take those walks in the woods, you know. Yeah, um, and definitely more concerts this summer for sure.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: So if there's somebody a couple, came, a up. yeah, uh, you had mentioned. You know, I, I give people advice all the time for opening their own brewery. What what advice would you give to somebody that asked you uh, about opening a brewery?
1: Um. Well, I mean, there's been books written about it. I could probably write my own. Um, I'd say this, um, number one, uh, I I mean, there's all the stuff that's obvious, right? You got to know what you're doing. You got to have good financial plan. You have to plan both for success and for failure, right? Um, both, both of those are important because there've been a lot of places that, um, realized a lot of success right out of the gate and they struggled to, um, you know, live with that success and build yeah. upon it, you know, and they went way too big, way too quick, and then quality went down, whatever. Um, so having a plan on both sides of it. Um, but for me, I'd say, you know, develop relationships within the industry. Um, out here in Colorado, I know it's not true of every state, but out here in Colorado, we lean on each other a lot. We're all friends. Um, we That's all awesome. have, you know, these big you know, Facebook groups that are just industries. Like, hey anyone have you know 11 pounds of this hop or my shit's broken who's got a good person that can help (laughs) me fix it um hey i need a hand like my keg washer's down who can i come wash kegs at and you know being friends and helping each other out um so that's that's a pretty big one that i think people undervalue because everything else yeah you, you gotta know what you're doing you have to um know how to run a business you have to know how to make good beer you have to know how to um, provide a good experience because all that shit matters. But, you know, that's that's one thing I think people overlook sometimes.
0: Right. For sure. Yeah. And did you happen to have a funny story for us?
1: Well, I got a lot of funny stories, but um, I told you I was going to tell you a batshit crazy one.
0: All right. Um, so, so let's hear it. Can't wait.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so I told you I moved to Nepal to build a brewery. Um, and yes. I did not know what I was getting myself into. Um, okay. the, there's lots of stories associated with that. But I showed up, and the brewery was not actually built yet. Um, they were literally building it by hand-making bricks on site there. Um, you know, <laughs> local Nepalese villagers doing it by hand, right? Um, fucking crazy. Uh, and the equipment showed up, and it was all sorts of fucked up, and I had to teach myself, you know... Um, brewery engineering, glycol processing, and um, a ton of different things. I had to learn how to inflate uh, jackets that were not inflated so that everything would work. We brought a um, canning line over from uh, the states here, um, and I had to reverse engineer that thing and basically figure stuff out. And um, you know, as a brewer, as an owner, you got to be able to wear a ton of hats, even if they're hats that, you know, you're not comfortable wearing. You got to know plumbing and electrical and finance and scrape gum off of tables and whatever, right? Um, But at the end of it, um, I uh, finished the time I told him I'd give him, but I was in Nepal. I was like, there's no way I'm not going tramping in the Himalayas for a little bit before I come home. So I ended up uh, hiking up to Mount Everest um, Base Camp, basically, um, which is not a hard hike. It's just a, you know, the, the trail is basically a a foot highway. I mean, it's it's amazing. Right. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, mountain climbing. It was literally just walking the hallway. I did it in, my like, sneakers, basically, with a little day pack because you stay in little tea houses. They got beds, they got food, whatever. Right. Um, but uh, I was up there. I was right below Everest Base Camp, um, and the earthquake of 2015 hit. Um, and I was sitting in this little tea house because I was waiting on a free helicopter ride to bring me back down to Kathmandu because uh, I met some crazy American who lived in Russia who basically owned the rights to Papa John's over there and was you know, <laughs> doing his first mountaineering experience. And his guide was... This amazing lady, Nepalese lady, who, um, you know, was like the National Geographic adventurer of the year. Like the following year, <laughs> anyway, crazy people. But he offered me a helicopter ride down, so I ended up sticking around for an extra day. I was like, I'll take a helicopter ride down. Why not? And the earthquake hit. We ran outside, um, and it was just fucking nuts. I mean, you know, it was a big one too. It was like God. seven point something or other, which is a big, big earthquake. Um and you just had uh, so much noise and I looked up and I could see basically like the front side of Everest just slide, um, huge avalanche. Um, <laughs> oh my God! And I'm watching it come down. We're you know where we were situated was above the glacier, right? You know on this uh, this cliff looking down the glacier, which was like I don't know two three hundred feet below. But I'm watching it come down. I'm watching the powder cloud come towards us and all the other hikers and tourists who are out there. I was like, avalanche coming. We should run and hide. And they like, blah, 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 I was like, avalanche coming. and started pulling people. I was like, hide behind this fucking wall. And it hit. Everyone started running. We were hiding wow. behind the wall. Um, and then, you know, after that, uh, me, the Papa John's American Russian guy, and the um, Nepalese guide ended up hiking up. Um, towards Everest Base Camp, because we were below at about, I don't know, two, three kilometers below is where we were staying at that point, looking for folks that were lost or hurt, um, buried, whatever. Um, and then I got myself the fuck out of there, because I was sick as shit from altitude.
0: Yeah, um, that sounds absolutely insane.
1: <laughs> yeah, and just started wor- working my way out and, you know, sleeping under picnic tables outside at night because, you know, the – Buildings were all kind of falling down and um, ended up, uh, you know, trying to let my family and friends back home know that I was still alive and all right and figure out how the hell I was going to get out of country because I was was supposed to be flying back anyway. I mean, that's when, that was the end of my experience there. Right. Um, And I ended up back in the little village where I started where my friends have a coffee house slash bar and ended up. Uh, bartending for a night in a uh, Himalayan village and pouring people drinks and i have never, you know, mixed drinks in my life and someone would order uh, a drink and I'd be like, I don't know how to make that. <laughs> Do you know what they'd tell me? I'd be like, yeah, here you go. Uh, you know, just sharing stories of survival and tragedy and all that sort of stuff. And um, Yeah, it was uh, a well time. I got back um, and three days later I was back on the brew kit, um Tommy Knocker. so
0: like it never happened <laughs>
1: no it definitely happened sure i needed to
0: do yeah that's uh, okay. by far one of the craziest <laughs> stories I've heard uh,
1: yeah.
0: on this podcast so thank you for that um, hey, you got it I have a segment called quick fire five five quick questions be related sure ready Uh, somebody somebody comes into your brewery what's one of the beers that you recommend they try
1: Uh, depends on what I have on tap (laughs) because we're always mixing it up Um, the way this is not quick but I actually don't recommend I ask them what they like and then I find them the right beer
0: okay Uh, favorite brewery other than your own
1: Beerstadt Lagerhaus
0: Beerstadt it's a great it's a great spot. It's an absolutely Those guys
1: make amazing um, lagers.
0: Yes. It's really good. Uh I, I went there not funds. not too long after going to your place. Amazing. Yeah. Um <clears throat> Favorite name you've come up with for one of your beers.
1: Esoteric mindfuck. Esoteric mindfuck.
0: <laughs> All right. <laughs> um Uh
1: Oh, Bar- that in the fan- that in the Phantom Grumper,
0: Phantom Grumper. I'm
1: not. I'm not telling you the backstory of anyone. Oh, okay. also, no root, no peacock. We have fun with names.
0: I know. That's why I, I yeah. like that question. Uh, barrel aged, imperial, or both.
1: Um, all three.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> barrel aged, imperial, or both of them. So I guess both of them.
1: Yeah. Sure. Well, and sometimes it's a barrel-aged Imperial. That's what I mean, all three.
0: Oh. Gotcha. All right. Uh, you have one keg of beer to hold you over for a two-week quarantine. What beer are you choosing?
1: Uh, Right now, probably Coastal Companion. It's our San Diego-style IPA. Just hits me in all the right spots. Awesome. Yeah. You tried that while you were out here, right?
0: I believe so. Check, check on taps. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm not that guy. <laughs> yeah, I, should right. I should be. Yeah. I should be, but I just I completely forget. I'm like, oh, this beer is good. I enjoy this beer. I'll try to remember <laughs> it. I don't sure. go, you know. Yeah. People are like, how do you have no beers on untapped? I'm like, uh.
1: I think I've checked in like 10 beers in my life for yeah. all my own.
0: Right, exactly. So, yeah. so, Well, Jordan, that's all I got for you, man.
1: Mike, glad we finally got to do it. Yeah. Seeing you, bro.
0: Thank you very much. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Auto Podcast. Jordan Fink Wood, of Woods Boss Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado. Thank you, brother.
1: Come see us if you're in Colorado.
0: Absolutely, will do. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Jordan Fink, co-owner of Woods Boss Brewing Company in Denver, Colorado. Whether you're passing through, you live in the area, just visiting a friend nearby, you should definitely check him out. Also, give them a follow on social media so you can see what new beers they're putting out. I was there not too long ago, and the vibe in their tap room is really awesome. Every other Sunday I'll be releasing a new episode, so subscribe, and you'll never miss one. Serious, subscribe. Come on. It's not that hard. Check out our YouTube channel where you get to see me, and my face, and it talks to people about beer. What's better than that? Also, follow us on social media for clips and updates on the podcast. I'm Mike Curtin for the Brew World Order Podcast. You stay safe out there.